0: welcome to the journey church podcast we hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith if you would like to learn more about journey church you can follow us on facebook instagram and online at thejourneychurch.cc now enjoy the message you guys doing well this morning church come on listen i got 35 minutes y'all know how this goes i got 35 minutes that 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 does not mean I'm going forever. You hush. Yeah, but anyways. All right. So 35 minutes, guys. We're continuing our series, Got Questions. Um, if you haven't been here during the series, let me encourage you, go and check it out. Go to thejourneychurch.cc. You can check it out there, uh, the archive messages. Or if you podcast, you listen to podcasts, we're on every major podcast platform. The Journey Church podcast is what it is. And here's a cool one. If you listen to your stuff on Spotify, which everybody should listen to Spotify, if you listen to your stuff on Spotify, you'll actually get the video podcast on Spotify. So that's pretty cool too. So we've been in this series, Got Question, for a couple weeks. Week one, Pastor Kim helped us, uh, she kicked off the series helping us understand that there's value to staying curious. As, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's value in staying curious, right? There, there's value in asking questions. You should be able to ask questions, amen? If you go to a church where you cannot ask anybody who's preaching a question, you're in the wrong spot, amen? If they come across where they tell you, I, what I say is the gospel truth and that's it, don't question it, question it it amen right you should be able to ask questions who what, where why, when and how right you should God's not scared of your questions come on church God's not scared of your que- you might be scared of your kids' questions but God's not scared of your questions right so we talked about that week one we kicked it off talking about again staying curious last week we I answered I, I preached the second week I answered the first question in a series of, of just amazing questions you guys have uh, since in, and it surrounded forgiveness. God can forgive anyone, but I can't due to the trauma that is created in my life. Am I wrong for that? That was essentially the question. And what we talked about last week is we talked about uh, that, that hurt comes through relationships. Amen. Hurt comes through relationships, but so does healing. The very avenue that hurt comes into our lives can be the very avenue in which we experience healing through relationship, okay? So hurt comes through relationships, but so does healing. We also talked about that there is a journey between the offense and forgiveness. There's a journey between, between being offended and being done wrong and experiencing trauma and, and the moment where we're able to say, I forgive and begin to move on. And in the church, I said last week, the church has done a really bad job at empathizing with people. That we've done a really bad job at looking at someone's life and not taking into the account the trauma that they've dealt with. And really we've pushed this message of, well, you just need to forgive and forget, forgive and forget. For as much as God has forgiven you, he's thrown your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He's cast them as far as the east is to the, uh, from the west. So you should also forgive. And that, though, is a true statement that forgiveness is absolutely a part of the DNA of a follower of Jesus. That's what makes us radical. Right? That's what separates us from everybody else that we do life with, right, that we do life around, is that we do forgive, that we do have that moment where we can step out and offer forgiveness to someone who the world would look at and say, unforgivable. Right? That's what separates us. But it doesn't devalue the hurt that you went through went through and you should absolutely take time to process it out. That God is patient with you in the process. That God doesn't have a standard over you looking at you going you need to forgive right now immediately. I know you were just hurt. I know you were just abused. I know you were just hit. I know whatever the case was, but you need to forgive right now. That's not how God's working. And why is it? Because the very first characteristic of God explained in love is love is what church? Patient. Right? He's patiently working with you. Notice what I have not said. I have not said you should never forgive. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? I'm not saying that. But there's a journey that takes place between the offense and forgiveness. I told Pastor Kim, I almost made this message. I almost did a part three of this message, right? But I promised her that I wouldn't and I would let her preach next week because she's excited to preach. So she's going to preach next week. So I'm going to get everything I got to get out here. Amen. I'm going to get it all out. So y'all better listen good. Sound good? Listen good and give me amen if we're tracking. Amen. Amen. All right. Because I got 30 minutes. (laughs) So I said, so we said that journey, there's a journey between the offense and forgiveness. I also said, listen, we also talked about this last week too with forgiveness, that, that boundaries are okay. Right? Amen. Boundaries are good. Boundaries let people know what is your space and what is their space. Boundaries let people know that this is your area. Boundaries are good. Sometimes we need to establish boundaries. Sometimes the offense that we're dealing with, the hurt that we're dealing with, is because we didn't establish boundaries in the first place. Right? So, So boundaries are a good thing, but walls are not. Come on, I'm not re- preaching my whole message last week, but walls are not. See, walls will protect you from, from harm, right, amen? They'll protect you from harm, but they'll also be the very th- same thing that protects you from harm will be the same thing that kills you because you get locked in, and you're locked in with you, yourself. You're locked in with you and your waste You're right, when they besieged the city, they cut off the inflow and outflow when cities have walls, right? And so when you had somebody die or somebody got sick or whatever, you would throw the disease out of the city, right? But when you were cut off and you were besieged, that disease and the death and the body, they stayed in the city, and it it produced death. See, if I build a wall up, I might be able to stop you from hurting me again, but I will be the very thing that kills me, right? So that was last week. I know it was so good last week, won't it? Amen. And so, I love it. And so, I love our church. Can I just tell you I love our church. I would rather be nowhere else preaching than right here with our people. Come on, man. So, and then we went on and we said this, right? We got on to forgiveness, right? Because a lot of times people say, I can't forgive. I can't move forward and start forgiving someone uh, because our idea of forgiveness means that I have to be reconciled with the person who offended me, who hurt me. Right, And and so if I'm in an abusive situation or I've been sexually abused, I've been raped, I've been beaten, I've been been lied to, I've been cheated on, whatever the case is, we think that in order for me to forgive, I have to then all of a sudden just be buddy-buddy with the person who did that to me. No, see, forgiveness requires one person, we learned last week. It requires one. Listen, no one can make you forgive them. Come on. Forgiveness is a choice that you have, just like love is a choice that you have. Forgiveness is a choice that you have. But reconciliation, that requires two people. Reconciliation requires two people. Yes, God forgave you. God poured out his grace upon you. God did some incredible things. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. God did some amazing things. But but Paul urged people. He said, now we, we urge you on Christ's behalf. Now that everything's okay between God and you, now will you allow everything to be okay between you and God? See, reconciliation requires two, right? Forgiveness requires one. That was all last week. And so typically, when you start talking about forgiveness, there's another follow-up question that comes along with that. Uh, there's a question that says, well, I, I don't know that I like what you said last week about forgiveness. That's okay. How many of you, all can agree to disagree here? Amen. You can hear me preach something and go, don't think so, but I like him. Right? I, I don't believe that, but he's funny, and I'm gonna keep going to keep coming back. I, I don't agree. That's okay. You don't have to agree. You can search out and find that I was right later. It's fine. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. To be determined. That's right. I don't know. That's all right. I want you to. I want you to search the scripture. I want you to be like the Bereans who found themselves faithful digging into the scripture and trying to prove Paul wrong. I want you to do that. Come on. So, the follow-up then is, well, what about the parables? What about the statements of Jesus? Because didn't Jesus say that, that that you are forgiven according to how you forgive? I mean, after all, isn't that kind of what he said when he said, this is how you should pray? Uh, forgive our trespasses as we forgive others, right? And then there another place in Matthew where he says that. And isn't there a story, a whole parable about the unforgiving servant that kind of highlights that very thing? And, and there, it is true. Yeah, Jesus did say that. And there is a parable that Jesus highlighted in that. And we're going to unpack that parable today. I'm going to make it make sense. All right. So. We're, we're going. We're getting it. Hold on. We're getting there. I'm winding up. I'm winding up. How how many? I know I got 25 minutes. How many? How many times do I forgive someone? How many times do I forgive someone? How many times do I forgive someone? Y'all are preaching to me. I hear you. Six plus one, Pep said. Six plus one. Sound like Peter. We're going to talk about it. Hold on. But before we get to the parable, let me just give you some background, amen. Let me give you some other stuff that's going to help you see this thing more clearly, right. Because one statement is true of two. In other words, if, if, I, if I were to tell you well, the only way you're forgiven by God is if you forgive first, that has to be a true statement. Or uh, we have issues because when we get to Paul's epistles, and we get to the epistles written by Paul, Paul doesn't present a if-and-then uh, gospel. He presents a it's-done gospel, right? He doesn't say, in any of Paul's letters, he doesn't say, and, 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 and to, the, to the extent that you forgive somebody else, then God will forgive you. So Paul and, and what Jesus says are, are a little bit at odds with each other, so we have to figure out who's right. Y'all were like, that's simple. Jesus is right because Jesus said it, and Jesus is right. Or there's something else that we don't know. Or there's something else that we're not understanding. How many of you understand context is a very important thing? Amen. When you read something, in con- it's good to know the context to what you're reading. When someone tells you, when, someone, when you give your life to Jesus, like I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17 years old, and someone handed me a Bible and said, here, read this. It has everything you need to know. Yeah. Listen, as a kid in high school, I started from the beginning, And I went from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And by the time I got to the fifth book, I was like, I don't know, what what did I sign up for? This is crazy. (laughs) Like I went to that prayer meeting, but there was no bulls and goats being split up into the prayer meeting. When's that happen? (laughs) So context is is important, right? So when you're studying scripture out, it's not that you just, I just read it and it'll make sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't like always make sense. Great, so you have to have context. So I'm gonna give you some context and then we're gonna work backwards. Sound good? Come on. All right. So remember last week we we saw a scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and this is what it says. Bring it up. It says, And Christ himself is the means by which our sins are what, church? And not our sins only, but also the sins of everyone. Christ is the means. By which our sins are forgiven, and not our sins only, but, this, but also the sins of everyone. So the question that comes out from here is, is, by what means are we forgiven? By what means are we forgiven, church? By what means are we forgiven? Christ. Okay, good. Good job. All right, so that's the Jesus Sunday school answer, amen? Okay. And, and then the next question that comes up was: well, then whose sins are forgiven? Everyone. 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 Everyone, Everyone. everyone—that's who sins are forgiven. Everyone, and and that word "everyone" is the it's the Greek word "cosmos." Actually, let me back up. The word forgiveness or forgiven there is "ephesis," 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 and it means to release from bondage or imprisonment and the pardon of sins. That's what. Forgiveness means, right? The release from bondage or imprisonment, the pardon of sins. Now, oh, I'm, I'm so far back. That's what it means. Okay, keep going. Sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself, guys. So the word everyone, the word everyone right there is the Greek word cosmos. Cosmos, And it literally means this. It means everyone, everyone in the world. That was a good translation. That's what it meant. It means the inhabitants of the world, men and the human race, the inhabitants of the world. It's the same word used in the most famous Bible verse that everybody knows, even if you don't go to church. John 3:16, for God so loved the cosmos. The entirety of humanity, the entire human race that He gave His Son. Right? So your forgiveness. By God is not dependent on what you bring to the table. It is strictly and solely dependent upon the grace of God. Hear me, hear me. Ephesians 1 7. Go there real quick. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of what? Sins. In accordance with the riches of God's what? The riches of God's what? It said, Your sins are forgiven. Through the richness of God's grace through Christ's blood. Through the richness of God's grace. Right? That's how our sins are forgiven. Now watch. I want to hit one more chunk of scripture before we dive into this parable. And answer the question, will God refuse to forgive me if I don't forgive someone else? So the writer of Hebrews, we're going to go to Hebrews real quick, but let me just give you some background. The writer of Hebrews is unknown. No one knows who wrote Hebrews. Scholars have been arguing it for a very long time. Some say Paul, some say Apollos, some say a female disciple. <gasps> I know. All sorts of people. I know. I know. Yeah. So, so it's just depending on who it is, we don't know, but we just know it's anonymous, but that it could have been a woman. And you know what? Because it's so detailed. It's so detailed and so good. Had to be a woman. I'm just kidding. I mean, it could be. This is a very true statement. So, So the writer of Hebrews is unknown. Watch, watch. But the audience of Hebrews was known. And the audience of Hebrews is Hebrews, which are Jewish. Everybody tracking? Okay. So the writers of Hebrews is unknown. The Hebrews were known. They were Jewish converts. And some... Uh, some of these guys were committed. These, these people were committed. Some were on the fence. And others were, f- were thinking about giving up on following Christ altogether. Three types of people in the book address, and three types of people the book addresses were incredibly familiar with something you and I are incredibly not. They are incredibly familiar in incredible detail with the laws of Moses and the entire sacrificial system that took place. You don't wake up every morning with that running through your head. I don't think, right? You don't do that. But they did. It was ingrained. It was a part of who they were. It was what separated them from every other nation that was around them. It was their their special uh, uh, bragging point for being people of God. This the law of Moses, and so they had incredibly they were incredibly familiar with that. It was deeply ingrained in them. The ideas on how forgiveness was issued was all through their sacrificial system. Do you understand? If I do this, then God does this. If I, if I offer a sacrifice for this thing I did wrong, then forgiveness comes in this, this form. That's what they were ingrained in, right? And it came, this sacrifice came through animal sacrifice. Now, the writer of Hebrews spends time combating this idea that sacrifices of animals equals forgiveness of sins. He spends time combating this. Watch this. I, I want to show you. Watch. Jesus extends God's grace, and that is the way that we're forgiven. Watch. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 18. I'm going to read fast. So get your listening ears open. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. It says the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Watch. If they could have provided perfect cleansing then the sacrifices would have stopped. Why? For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. And why would they have stopped? Because their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. What drove the Israelites to continually offer sacrifices over and over again was a feeling of guilt and shame. But instead it says those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Watch. For it, is in, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Do you see that, church? That's what humanity has tried to do. That's what we've tried to figure out. We, we want to offer sacrifices. We want to offer penance to try to figure out how we can be forgiven And it doesn't work that way because forgiveness is not earned on the currency or not bought with the currency of penance. Forgiveness is paid for and given to you freely by grace. Do do you track with that? You cannot earn forgiveness. I cannot make you forgive me. I can't twist your arm enough to make you forgive me because forgiveness has to do with your heart and not just your words. This is why when Christ came into the world, look, listen, y'all, listen, we want to get so anchored into the sacrificial system and and we want to look at at that stuff in the Old Testament. And that's great. You can see Jesus all throughout it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see God show up in the midst of, of humanity's brokenness over and over again. But watch, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, Look, I've come to do your will, O oh God, as is written about me in scriptures. First, Christ said, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with any of them, though they were required by the law of Moses. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will. Do you know what the will of Jesus was, what the will of God for Jesus was? To save the world, to come and love the world, love the world with a radical grace, a radical love to reveal to the world who God is in his fullness. When he told Philip, remember, he said, Philip said, show me, Lord, who is the father? Show me what the father looks like. And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long that you haven't even realized it? If you've seen me, you have seen the father. So he comes to reveal the image and the perfection of who God is, the love and the grace and the mercy of, of God. And to love the world to his death. That's what love does. Because love never gives up. Love never gives up. Love pursues. Aren't you grateful that love pursues you? That God's love pursu- Aren't you frustrated that God's love pursues you? You should be, there should be just as many amens on that side as there is on this side. Because you know you want to do your own thing, too. And yet his love pursues you. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. He cancels it. He says, no more of this. Stop doing this. Keep going. Verse 11, watch. Verse 10, just kidding. For God's will, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ, or sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. You were to be made holy once for all time. I'm going somewhere with this, y'all. Bear with me. Keep going. Now verse 11. Under the old covenant, The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But did you know that that's exactly what we were told in the law that it did? We were told these sacrifices take your sins away. These, they, one, one lamb is led to the slaughter, the other one's released outside the city, symbolizing the carrying off of the sins outside the city. It takes your sins away. And yet the writer of Hebrews is doing a major correction to their theology and says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Watch. Verse 12, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hands. How many more? We've got a come more. And it says, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Keep going. Verse 14, for by that one offering, the love offering of Christ, he, this is a hard one to chew on. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You are and have been made perfect, but life is a daily journey of being made holy. Do do you see that? Keep going. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, and I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And it says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. There's no need for you to try to earn what has already been freely given to you. There is no need to to keep track of how many times you're praying and how many times you're reading the Bible and how much money you've given away and how many times you made it to church on a Sunday. There's no need to track that because that has nothing to do to your forgiveness. That has nothing to do with God's love for you. It doesn't. At all. The forgiveness of God is born out of the love for humanity and the expression of that love is Jesus Christ. It is not earned. It is a 100% free gift that has been given to everyone who has and is and will ever live. So notice we just spent the last few minutes looking at how Jesus is the forgiveness of God expressed. Why is this so important Remember, we, we talked about this before, and we've talked about this over and over again. Here you know, at our church, we, we connect people to Jesus to experience life. So we are big on, on reading Scripture and evaluating Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. That is a, a major key point to understanding how you read Scripture, right? That's huge. And so when you read certain parables, as you're going through and you're reading these parables that that Jesus shared, you have to, you cannot excuse the fact of what Jesus Christ has gone through, went through, and has given freely when you're reading those. Do you understand? You recognize and realize this was to a particular group of people that he spoke to at that particular time. Remember, everything in the Bible is not written to you. Everything in the Bible is written for you. It's written for you to gain understanding. It's written for you, but you are not the Jewish people that Paul wrote to in Hebrews. Can I gain something from that? 100%. But you're not the church of Ephesus that he wrote to. You're not the church of Corinthians that he wrote to. He wrote to those people. They were real people at a real time dealing with specific things. Can I learn from that? 100%. But he was talking to a real guy who was sleeping with his stepmother for real, y'all. That was what he was addressing. He was right. He was. He wrote about that. He wrote it. He said, listen, all you rich folks, stop getting to the last supper early and getting drunk and filling your bellies with food and letting all the poor people miss out on it. real people, real situations. So when Jesus is speaking and sharing parables with people, it's important to know who he's talking to in that moment. So Matthew 18. Here we go. Matthew 18. I'm doing so good. I got 10 minutes. Matthew 18. And we'll start with verse 21. It says, It says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And then he goes in verse 22: No, not. Seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, that could be seven zero times seven, or some scholars believe it's really he's just saying 77 times. Right? Keep going. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his account up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Y'all pay attention. Listen. Right? In verse 24, it says, In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Right? And he couldn't pay it, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Keep going. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throats and demanded instant payments. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him a little more, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will, rep- I will pay it, he pleaded. Does that sound familiar? Keep going. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Keep going. It says, and when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven. Listen. He called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you. That tremendous debt because you what, church? Pleaded with me. Keep going. Shouldn't you have had shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? Verse 34 says, And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Wait, wait, wait. He gets better. And then Jesus says, Peter. That is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, y'all ready? All right, I'm gonna help you. Because some of y'all are like, ah, that's pretty clear, isn't it? But is it? So when Peter asked Jesus, but Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? Do you know why Jesus, by Peter, said, How many times should we forgive someone? Seven times. Because there was a Jewish custom, context, and cultural relevancy, right? There was a Jewish custom that said that when someone offended you, you forgave them three times. And if they offended you on the fourth, you had the right to refuse forgiveness. That was a custom, that was common, that's what was taught. And then Peter, having been with Jesus, look it up. Y'all can look it up. Study it out. Look it up. Then Jesus, having been with Peter, or Peter, having been with Jesus and seeing his ministry take off, Peter thinks he's got one. Peter thinks he's being good. Peter goes, well, I mean, obviously your ministry is better than what I came up under, right? So if they are three times they've forgiven, we at least, I mean, like at least seven times, right? At least seven times. That's grace. That's generous. And. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, Peter. Let's just say 77 times. In other words, Peter, the ministry that you are a part of, the mission that I have is not selective forgiveness. It's not exclusive forgiveness. It is an all-inclusive forgiveness that extends over and over and over and over again. And, Peter, when you follow me and when you live a life that looks like mine, this is what you do. You forgive and you forgive and you forgive because it looks so different than everything else. Now, Peter, I know you're having a hard time understanding what I'm saying. See, Peter, he came up under that traditional Jewish law, that law that was very clear. It said that um, if someone took your eye, you had the right to what? Take somebody else's eye eye for an eye. Someone knocked your tooth out, give them a good whack. Knock their tooth out. Someone cut your hand off, guess what you get to do? Cut their hand off. If somebody burns you, you can burn them. That was what was taught over and over again. If then, if then, if then is what's been taught. And so I get it, Jesus. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm seeing your grace. I'm seeing your ministry. You are way more graceful for them, but there absolutely has to be a limit to your grace too, right? To which he says 77 times. See, Jesus' response was to counter a law-based idea that Peter himself was still walking through. Peter's struggle, he had a struggle living out the law and following Jesus. Did you know that? Peter did. Do you know that that even followed Peter after Jesus? That Peter struggled living with a legalistic mindset and a grace filled mindset. You can go back and read in the book of Acts. Remember when Peter had had gone and he was sitting on top of the rooftop, remember that? And he has a dream, a vision, and there's a sheet that gets lowered down, and the four corners are lowered down, and on that sheet are every type of animal that he was never supposed to eat growing up. And, and you heard the voice of the Lord said, arise, Peter, kill and eat, right? And Peter responded to him, Lord, not me, no way, not a single unclean thing has ever touched my lip. And Jesus responds to him, but Peter, don't call unclean What I've made clean. Do you remember that? Don't get hung up in your legalistic laws about what is clean and unclean. I've made everything clean. I've made everyone clean. Uh, And then you know what happened after that? He saw that vision a couple times because Peter needed it a couple times. Amen. You ever been shown something by God a couple times? And so he has that vision a couple times, and then when he gets done having the vision, there was a a group of soldiers who would come to get Peter and bring him to this guy whose name was Cornelius. Do you all remember that? Cornelius was a Roman centurion who believed in God. Do you remember? And when Peter gets to his house, he goes in. But he would have never have gone in because according to law, it was unlawful to enter the house of anybody who was not a Jew. And so he goes into the house. And he says, you know our laws state that I can't be here, but God has shown me I've had that thing all wrong. That I should not call anybody unclean who God has deemed clean. That was the first time. But you would think that Peter got it. You would think that by that point Peter would be like, yep, I'm good. I'm cured of my legalism. I'm cured of all my legalism. But then there's this moment in Galatians in chapter 2 and 3 where Paul says, Peter and I, we were hanging out. With this Galatians, or we were hanging out with this church. I don't remember if it was Galatians church or not. We were hanging out with this church. It was really cool because, because they were all non-Jews. They were all Gentiles, and, and we were all hanging out together, and we were eating, and we were fellowshipping together. It was awesome, and I enjoyed it. But then there came this moment where all the really religious Jewish Christians came in, all the ones who understood the law and the, and the laws, they came in. And it was weird, Paul said. You can check it out. Fact check me. It's weird. When Paul said, when Peter came in, I noticed something. I noticed that as soon as the religious Jews showed up, Peter acted like them, no longer eating with the Gentiles, who they were thinking were unclean. And so Peter had this awesome moment. If you can, do you picture when you read scripture? Do you like picture the story out? Like you picture that? Anybody? N- no, y'all need imaginations, right? So I read this story, and this is how I see it. I see a cafeteria, and I see a bunch of people eating because they're all hanging out eating. And I see there's the Gentile table, and then there's the Jewish table, and I see Paul is hanging out with Peter at the Gentile table, and the Jewish people sit down, and then Peter goes and hangs out with them, and then Paul gets on top of the cafeteria table and calls Peter out because it says, I oppose Peter to his face. Hey, Peter, I'm calling you out right now. This is wrong. You're struggling right now in this moment, Peter. They were good enough to eat with before the religious people got here. They should be good enough to eat after the religious people get here. That's that's what he said. So so Peter, this struggle exists even after Christ leaves. But he's having this moment in this moment right here with with Jesus too. Yes, I know you're good, but there's got to be a limit, a cutoff point, right? So Jesus gives him an incredibly exaggerated parable, a hyperbole. Y'all know what hyperbole is? Hyperbole, it's an incredibly exaggerated story or example. That's, that's what that is, right? i me give you, I'll give you an example of one. Remember when Jesus said, see, we, we don't have a hard time. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Five more minutes-ish. Okay, so we, shh. so hear me. We have no problem sometimes reading it with other scriptures. Like when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, what? Cut it off. It's better to enter the kingdom of God. Than to enter Gehenna, or enter the kingdom of God, maimed, than it is to enter the Gehenna with all your digits. No one in this room takes that seriously. Literally, let me me back up. You take it seriously. In other words, get rid of the things that are bogging you down. No one's taking that literally. No one's sitting there going, "Man, my my hands are really creating some issues. I, I need to go to a men's group tonight and have them cut it off." Like, we have no problem seeing hyperbole in that moment. Or when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I'm clearly that's not, that like Jesus wasn't like me. And, like, that wasn't literal. Amen? Y'all see that? it wasn't literal. So he uses another example of hyperbole when he brings up the king. Right? And, and, and this whole debtor's prisons. See, that's another thing that we have out of context. We have no clue about debtor's prisons. And that was very, very much a part of their everyday culture. There were the rich and then there were everybody else who was in debt. That was it. Rich people, in debt people. You are, we do, don't we? Rich people and then debt people. And see, with, with people who are in debt, the person who lent you the money could call your account to order. And if he called your account to order and you couldn't pay it, he threw you in debtor's prison, which is a place that you stayed in order to work off the debt that you have. Listen, to work until your debt is paid, all right? Or you could have family members who loved you and put money on your books. Clearly no one knows what that means. I know what that means. Put money on your books. They can put it to your account. They can go in and say, hey, I'm putting $25 on your books. It goes to your debts. That's what it was. And so when he says the kingdom of God is like this, he's not saying literally that God is an angry king. I want you to make this, I want you to see this. That God is not an angry king looking to call your debt to order, and if you can't pay it, He's going to sell off your family. Do you understand? That's not literally what he's saying. We know that. We know that because we know Jesus. Like Jesus never went around to anybody saying, "Annie, up or I'm selling your whole family off. That's not my God and my father in heaven who sells family members. Like that's not who he's saying. He's, he's using the example of what they know on an everyday basis. And what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is like this. It is so polar opposite of what you're used to doing on a daily basis. That's what he's saying. It's opposite. It's counterculture. The kingdom of God is this. See, see, Peter, you were given. Is, let's bring it back to here. Abraham was chosen because of what? Not a trick question. Abraham was chosen by God by grace. That's it. Like, Abraham didn't, like, have a, a top-notch pedigree. He didn't have a great resume. He was chosen by God through grace. And God continually, in grace, made this this, this pass down, these promises and, and the faithfulness of the Messiah to come. He chose Abraham from Abraham, the Jewish people. The Jewish people carried the Ten Commandments of God, right? And then they went crazy with the laws of Moses, which is a true statement. And then you come to this place where Jesus is born of a virgin, a Jewish girl, a virgin, right, who comes to the world. but 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 flip the story around, it's not just for the Jewish people to be delivered from Rome, it's for the entirety of the whole world. And he said, You have this. You have this great thing. Are y'all tracking me, Peter? You have this great heritage, this rich heritage. You couldn't have done this yourself, and it was freely given to you. Right? That's where he's he's sharing. It's it's not even, it's the heritage, it's the promise that it's not just for you, but it's for those who you deem it's not for. It's for those you think it's not for. If we wanted to call account, you couldn't pay it, Peter. It's grace, you couldn't pay it. Do you know? Do you know this is crazy? When he said 10,000 talents, do y'all know how much money that is? It, it gets lost because we don't have context or anything. It's bazillion. When he said, let's talk about a story. There was a guy who owed a bazillion dollars to the king. In other words, you, there's no way in the world you could pay that off. 10,000 talents is, is 800,000 pounds of silver. Right. Right. Better yet, how did he earn that much trust to get 800 pounds or 1,000 pounds or tons of, of silver? Y'all are seeing the point. As Western people, we want to know all the details about the, every little transaction. And that's not what Jesus is going for here. He's painting a picture so, it, it, the amount of money wasn't a real amount of money. God is not a king who is threatening to throw and sell your family members away. He's not. But he's drawing this point out for Peter to help him understand you cannot ever come to a place where you hold yourself or esteem yourself better than anyone else, Peter. That the forgiveness given to you, Peter, is to be given to everyone else equally. And again, we see Peter struggling with this, even after Jesus. Not me, Lord. I'm not putting anything unclean in my body. He said, don't call what I've made clean unclean, right? Peter, Paul. I opposed him to his face because he hung out with the Jewish people as soon as they, they, hung, they showed up. This is something that Peter's dealing with, right? See, even if this, again, This is not a recipe for how things work because what did the king say? The king forgave him because what? Because he pleaded. That's not how that works with Christ. You're not forgiven based on how much you plead, you're forgiven because of grace through Jesus Christ. We just read all that. So, this is highlighting a bigger picture here, a bigger thing for Peter. Peter, this is a big deal. And then we get this idea that somehow the the debtors' prison or the prison that he's thrown into, we've been told or we've been taught, well, that's hell, because that's what God's going to do. God's going to look at you at the very end of that. Remember when He said that? I love that because I can imagine Jesus looking at Peter and going, Peter, that's what my Father will do to you. It's just kind of highlighting something for Peter, like, do I really want to live like this? Is that really what I think God is is like in that that moment? Because if listen, that's not hell. It's a hell we can make for ourselves, but it's not hell because if it was hell, it's a little bit different than everything you've been taught, isn't it? Because it says that he's there in that prison until he can pay his debt off. That sounds more like purgatory, not hell. So maybe it's not exactly what we thought, it's, we thought it is. Maybe we're looking at this with a completely different set of eyes now. now God's not... Sending you to a hell because you refuse to forgive somebody, to be tortured until you can get to a place of forgiving from your heart. That's another part of that story that we get messed up. But God is highlighting a bigger picture. Don't get to a place where you esteem what you have or that you're better than anybody else because the grace given to you is the same grace that should be given to everybody else. You see, the love of God, let me back up. No, I'll say here. The love of God, because I got five minutes. The love of God, the love of God is received in two ways. Or my Father in heaven will do to you, Peter. So the love of God is received two ways, y'all. For those of us who have been broken, those of us who are poor in spirit, the love of God is a very welcoming hug. It is a very soothing and healing moment. When I come to the place when I understand I have nothing to offer God whatsoever, and yet you still love me and all my mess and my junk and my failure, that love is humbling. Is it not, church? That love is embracing. It's warm. It's comforting. But when I come from it from a different angle, you see, when I look at myself and I, and I, and I live in a self-righteous mindset. The love of God is a torturous thing. Now hear me. It's not torturous in that God is going to torture you, right? It's torturous because in the presence of love, anything that is not love does not stand a chance. It doesn't. It's an uncomfortable feeling If I'm in the presence of love and I'm harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, have you ever been offended by someone who just wants to love you but you can't stand them? And the more they're around you, the more you can't stand them? No one's ever been in that spot. Y'all are so good. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember that story? the prodigal son came home broken, and the Bible says that the father ran out and embraced him with his arms, and there was this beautiful reuniting that took place, a reconciliation that took place. The love of God was received and welcomed, but do you know what happened to the older brother when the love of God was on full display? He rejected it. He was resentful, and it was torturous for him. The more he thought about it because of himself, because of how self-righteous he was, the more he thought about it, the more it created tension and and pain. It's not fair. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this and yet you still love them. And yet the father in the story of the prodigal son at the very end is where he's out in the field with the older brother. Y'all tracking with me? So we get to that place, we read a a scripture like that, and you go, wait a minute, I know I've been forgiven. Wait a minute, Paul, Paul's, Paul's letters have shown and highlighted that God's grace and his forgiveness has been made known to all. But I read the story where it looks very if and then, very contractual. Well, which one is it? Well, who is he talking to? And when is he talking to them? Are the questions that we have to ask. Does that make sense? I got it all out in one week. I could have probably spent two weeks on it, but I'm not allowed because Kim's got to preach next week. And maybe you have questions. Maybe that created more questions. Maybe I was not at all very clear and I thought it was in my head, <clears throat> but maybe not. Go to got questions. Go to, the, to thejourneychurch.cc forward slash got questions or the tab and ask or come to a Wednesday night group and ask. Let's keep the dialogue going. Amen? You are forgiven. And because you are forgiven, I love this last verse. I promise this last verse. Ephesians 4.32. I'm done. I swear I'm done. We're not even going to do a response song because I went so long. That's my fault. But Ephesians 4.32. My kids were younger and they used to get on my nerves and they used to argue with one another and fight with one another. I'd make them sing a song and hug. And that song came for Ephesians 432. And it said, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We forgive this side of the cross because we've been forgiven. Do you see? We forgive because we've been forgiven. Do me a favor. Thank you for listening so intently today. (laughs) Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap up and dismiss. Father, we thank you, God, for your love. And, Father, I know that even some of the things that I've said today, God, are so counter to the things that we may have heard growing up in church, that we may have heard been preached from a pulpit, Father. Father, I know that for some of us, we have this idea that God is a contractual God of if and thens. But God, I pray that your love, your wisdom, your discernment, God, would just overwhelm us. And that we'd be able to see through the lens of Jesus Christ. That the covenant, the life, the things that we have are in Christ. And it's not if and then. It is Done. It is finished. So, Father, I pray for anybody who's been having a hard time receiving your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. Father, that their hearts are open this morning to to receive it, to welcome it. Father, we thank you for it, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.